Thanks, Dan. It's great to see you, and congratulations. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Pastor Dan and his wife, Leanne, became first-time grandparents this week, and we're celebrating and rejoicing with them in that. Uh, we're also rejoicing that we can gather together to open the scriptures online and continue our journey through the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 3, that's where we left off, so if you have a Bible, you can grab it and open to Daniel 3. Just to catch you up, King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, has built a giant image and commanded that everyone bow down and worship this image or else be thrown into a fiery furnace. But three of the men that we've gotten to know, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they refuse. They tell the king, we won't bow down, and if you throw us into the fiery furnace, we believe our God will deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we simply cannot bring ourselves to worship anyone or anything other than our God. And this morning, as we pick up the story, I want to ask three questions of us, three questions I believe will help us process and understand and apply this story to our lives. Here are the questions. One, what is this story about? Two, why is it hard? And three, what does it teach us? You know, one of the things I love about this story is that we are never told what the image Nebuchadnezzar builds is. We know it's big, we know that it's made of gold, but it's never described for us. Last week, Pastor Paul said that perhaps the statue was of Nebuchadnezzar himself, or maybe it was a knockoff from the vision and the dream he had back in chapter 2, or maybe it was just the image of one of his Babylonian gods. But the point is this, we don't really know. The author doesn't tell us. It's completely left out, and, and here's why I think that is. Daniel is not just a story about what happened. It's a story about what always happens. And what always happens in our world and what always happens in our lives is this. You will be pressured and tempted to worship something other than God. You will be pressured and tempted to worship something other than God. Our first question, what is this story about? It's about worship. It's about who or what is at the center of your life. Who or what is at the top of your priority list. It's about when push comes to shove, who or what will you look to for safety, security, meaning, and direction in your life? When the chips are down and the pressure is on, and the chips are down and the pressure is on for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when the chips are down and the pressure is on, who or what are you devoted to above all else? That's the question that worship asks. And friends, not too many of us are tempted to bow down and worship a giant gold statue. But we are tempted to bow down to things in this world. We are tempted to bow down to other people. We are tempted to bow down to popularity, to fitting in, to being accepted. We are tempted to put recognition at the top of our lives. Or maybe it's financial security. Maybe we're tempted to pursue that above all else because we believe that if we have financial security, then we can feel safe. Or maybe for you, it's physical attractiveness. 
Maybe you've bought in to the lie that if other people desire you, then your soul will finally and ultimately be satisfied. Or maybe for you it has to do with academic prowess, being the smartest, or perhaps it's success. You know, one of the things I've been watching on TV during the pandemic is this documentary about the Chicago Bulls during the 1990s. Maybe you've seen it. It's called The Last Dance. And in the show, you get an up-close view of the Bulls organization during their six championship seasons. And you also get a pretty close-up view of their best player, who was, of course, Michael Jordan. And one of the things that's stuck out to me as I've watched and listened is that at the very center of Michael Jordan's life was winning. At the very top of his priority list was being a champion. Nothing mattered as much as that. He worshipped success. And because Jordan worshipped success, everything else in his life was secondary. His friendships were secondary. His family was secondary. Being a good teammate was secondary. He wasn't a very good teammate. Because the thing that drove Jordan more than any, anything else in this world was winning. Michael Jordan didn't bow down to a statue. He bowed down to the idea of being successful. He worshipped it because he thought that it would satisfy his soul. And our culture buys into that too. Remember the commercial? Like Mike, if I could be like Mike. We used to sing that song all the time when I was a kid. I used to hum it while I was shooting baskets in my driveway. But the idea behind that commercial was this. If I could only be as popular as Mike or as wealthy as Mike or as successful as Mike, then I would be happy too. Friends, this is the question Daniel is asking us, you and me. What are you tempted to bow down to in this world? What are you tempted to worship? What are you tempted to need and want so much that you'll sacrifice everything else for it. You know, as, I, as I've thought about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I believe they're tempted by something many of us are tempted by in our world today, and that's this, comfort and ease. Our whole culture is built on the pursuit of comfort and ease. And in fact, there is a luxury retirement community pretty close to my house that my wife and I sometimes walk through. And the slogan of this luxury retirement community is this, the full life, the full life. And the idea is that if you save enough money so that you can retire and live here and, and coast out the rest of your days in luxury, then you will have the full life. Your life will be a success. You will be satisfied and you will have won. But that's not the message of Jesus. Jesus actually coined this phrase. He's the one who said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. But Jesus says the full life is something different. It's not luxury retirement living. Jesus says the full life is following me. He says it's living for me. It's sacrificing for others. It's walking the narrow road into places of hurt and pain. It's loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you. Jesus says the full life, according to him, is not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. That is what will give your life meaning and purpose and satisfaction ultimately. That's Jesus' message. 
And we're all tempted to sort of veer from that message and pursue comfort and ease. That's what our world offers us. And I would say this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are also tempted by this. You see, all they have to do is bow down. Bend their knees for just a few minutes. One little compromise and all their troubles go away. They keep their jobs. They keep their pensions. They keep their cozy relationship with the king and all that goes along with that. But again, the question is this. Is that what is most important to them? What's highest on their list? What do they worship? Because if they choose devotion to God, things are going to get tough. And this leads to question two. Why is it hard? Why is choosing to worship God and making him the highest priority of your life hard? Here's why. At some point, devotion will lead to difficulty. At some point, devotion will lead to difficulty. In fact, listen to what happens right after these guys make their big declaration of devotion. They say, your majesty, we want you to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. And then verse 19, then Nebuchadnezzar said, great job, guys. Thanks for being committed to your Lord. I respect your devotion. I applaud your convictions. No. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious. He was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. You see, up to this point, he wasn't happy, but he was patient. He was giving them a second chance. He was trying to convince them to comply, but in the face of their ultimate devotion to the Lord, his attitude toward them changed, and it changed radically. Listen up. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie them up and throw them into the blazing furnace. If you didn't know this, seven in the Bible is sort of a special number. It's a significant number. And, and most often, it's a number that's used in a metaphorical way to mean a lot. It means a bunch. When Jesus says, you know, forgive your enemies or forgive people who've wronged you 70 times 7, he's saying a bunch of times. In other words, what this passage is telling us when Nebuchadnezzar says, turn it up seven times hotter, he says, turn it up as high as it will go because he is not happy with these guys. He does not like their stand and he is going to make them pay. You see, one of the lessons we learn in the book of Daniel and all throughout scripture really is that in this world, you will have trouble and sometimes it's your devotion that will lead to difficulty. It's your devotion that will lead to your difficulty. Friends, let me ask you, is there any place your devotion is creating difficulty in your life these days? Is there a place in your life where your decision to worship God and put him first is causing conflict or stress or strain? Maybe it's at work. Maybe there are some practices in your business that you aren't comfortable supporting and it's creating some strain or some stress between you and your boss. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's about giving and generosity. Maybe God is asking you to step into some sacrificial service and your family or your friends, they just don't understand it. 
Perhaps there's a friendship where, where certain things, certain conversations, maybe the way people are talked about when they're not around, you're not comfortable with that, and it's creating some tension between you and some of your friends. Maybe your devotion to God has led you to serve or love some difficult people. And the world would say, it's too hard, just walk away, it's not worth it. But Jesus, he's asking you to stay. Maybe Jesus is saying, I want you to stand in that place and to serve and love and offer grace, maybe even to an enemy. And maybe the people around you, they just don't get it. Friends, devotion will lead to difficulty. At some point it will. And yet, right here I need to pause. And I need to point something out that I think is really important for us to notice about Daniel and his friends. Yes, there are some things in Babylon that they can't tolerate and they can't go along with. But they aren't against everything. They aren't adversarial. They aren't looking for difficulty. They aren't trying to pick a fight at every corner. In fact, you'll notice that this story begins with all of them working in government in service to the king. And then this story ends with all of them getting a promotion. They're still working for Babylon at the end of this story. Friends, these guys, they give their lives, they use their talents and their abilities and their gifts to bless and serve this pagan nation. Yes, there are some points where they must stand apart, but they're not haughty, they're not arrogant, they aren't angry or mean or vengeful or malicious. In fact, I'd argue that when they stand for God, they're powered by the Spirit of God. When they stand for God, they are filled with the Spirit of God. They're filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That's what marks their lives. So let me be really clear. This passage is not a calling for us to stand against our culture. It's a calling for us to stand for God in the middle of our culture as we seek to be salt and light in a world that is starved for the hope and health and healing power of our God. Another pastor I read this week said it like this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego treat us to love our nation and to be good citizens up to the point we can't be good Christians. But that point may come. And that point has come for these three guys. And they're thrown into a fiery furnace. But the story is not over. Verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, and governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was the hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Friends, this story teaches us that not only does our God have the power to save us from the fire, but that he meets us in the fire. 
Not only does our God have the power to save us from the fire, but that he meets us in the fire. Notice that Nebuchadnezzar says, the fourth guy in the fire, in the furnace, the extra guy, he describes him as someone who looks like a son of the gods. This is really unique and original language in the Old Testament. And I believe the author here is giving us a clue, a clue that God himself, that Jesus himself meets Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the midst of this fiery furnace. You know, something that strikes me about my own life is this. The places that I have most often and powerfully met God were the hot, difficult, hard places of sacrificial worship in my life. They weren't the places of ease and comfort and pleasure. They were the hard places, the places where I had to die to self, places where I chose to follow God even when there was an easier, more comfortable path. And I mention this because I think there's a great danger for you and me living as Christ followers in America in the 21st century. Because for the most part, this is a very comfortable world. And there's a danger that the primary goal of our lives becomes furnace avoidance. That we Christianize this idea that that comfort and ease are what God wants for us. And we even begin to pray for this. We even begin to pray prayers that sound like, God, keep me from discomfort and inconvenience. Shield me from struggle and suffering. God, make my life smooth and easy and comfortable and pleasant. And, And we convince ourselves that this is God's will for us. My friends, this is a story that challenges that. This is a story about worship. And worship is hard because it involves sacrifice and dying to self and sometimes walking into the heat, walking into the fire. But the result, the result this story promises is always true. Jesus will meet you in the middle of your furnace. Jesus will join you in the heat. And so friends... As we close, let me just offer you a simple question, a challenge to chew on. Where is God calling you to trust him and to worship him and to lay down your own comfort and ease that you might walk into some heat for the people around you and for this world that we live in and for the advancement of God's kingdom? And friends, as you think about where God might be calling you to go, Remember that he won't ask you to go anywhere that he hasn't been before. Because our God, when he came to this world, he didn't avoid the furnaces of this this life. In fact, the road he was on took him straight to the top of a hill where he hung on a Roman cross and then was buried in a cold, dark Roman tomb. And he faced the biggest, most fiery enemy of all, the enemy of death, and he arose victorious. Friends, we can walk into the hot places of this world because our God dominates the hot places of this world. He defeats them all, and he promises to be with you. And so as you think about where God might be calling you to step in out of devotion with a spirit of worship into the fiery places of our world, make sure you step in with the attitude of Christ, with the posture of the Jesus that we follow. And I'll I'll read these verses to remind you of what that looks like, and we'll close with this. This is what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2. I believe these words must mark our hearts and our posture and our attitude, especially in this world that we live in today. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, 
value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Friends, may we be the kind of church that worships our God with so much commitment and vigor that we will even walk into the hottest places with a posture that we consider others more important than ourselves. Let that be our prayer. God bless you, friends. Have a great Sunday.